Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Are you interested in turning your customers into raving fans? Unsure how to do that? Well, my special guest today is Brittany Hodak, an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and customer experience speaker who has worked with some of the biggest brands and entertainers in the world, including Walmart, Disney, Katy Perry, Dolly Parton. She's also the founder of an entertainment startup that she scaled to eight figures and is the former chief experience officer of experience.com. She knows a lot about creating fans and we discuss what does customer experience mean and doing it right. With her background in the entertainment industry, she shares her approach to customer experience based on her real working knowledge with these brands and how you actionable tips based on her five-part framework for creating super fans based on her newest book. As always, I ask her personal questions to provide inspiration for you in business and life as well. Please, if you like this episode, share with others. Subscribe to Doing CX Right, my newsletter and my podcast on your favorite channels. I appreciate you. And now let's get on with the show. Hello, Brittany Hodak. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Thank you, Stacey. I am so excited to be here. Oh, I feel the same. And when the audience gets to hear you, they're going to know why. So let's start with, who are you? What do you do professionally? Well, I'm a professional speaker and author, and I try to make people get as excited about customer experience as I am about customer experience. Oh, I share that passion. Why? Why do you care about it so much? You know, for a bunch of reasons, but I care about it because I think it's one of those things that's been brushed to the side for the past couple decades. Like people have thought it's unsexy, right? Or they've mistakenly thought that customer experience is just customer service and it's like someone else's department's problem or something somebody else should do. But I truly believe that customer experience is the absolute most most important part of every single business. It what it's what sets your brand apart from every competitor, current and future. And it's I mean it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. I am still one of those people who believes if somebody is paying you money for your product or service and the experience that it's wrapped in, you have an obligation to deliver something that meets or exceeds their expectations. So I'm obsessed with customer experience for all of those reasons. And I preach customer centricity pretty much everywhere I go. I knew why we were so close (laughs) in my day. (laughs) Because that's exactly what I think too. What's a fun fact that people may not know about you? Oh, one fun fact is that when I was in college, I was working toward my capstone thesis project for what ultimately became a small business I started a few years later. But it all sort of like miraculously blew up in college about three months before graduation. And I was so afraid I wasn't going to graduate or I would graduate without this interdisciplinary honor that I'd been working for. It was like a minor uh, in interdisciplinary honor studies. And so I had to come up with something quick 
and big enough for the school to say like, okay, you can still graduate. And I was a PR undergrad. So I decided I was going to set a world record to generate some attention. And I sort of Tom Sawyered a bunch of friends of mine into helping me. And together we created the world's largest Christmas stocking. And it was 50 something feet tall and like 30 feet from heel to toe. And we filled it up with, I think it was like somewhere between 11 and 12,000 toys, like donated toys, all for children in need throughout our area and then kind of like the greater Mid-South area. And yeah, so that was a lot of fun and that was really cool. And I was able to still graduate. They still honored my thesis project. So um, that's my fun fact is that I'm a Guinness World Record holder. That is a very cool story. Thank you for sharing that. And for listeners, I have a fun fact that Brittany and I have the same birthday, December 1st. So that's fun too. (laughs) Yes, we're birthday twins. We just found that out. So shout out to anybody else. If we have any other December 1st birthdays listening, please send an email to both me and Stacey so that we can make sure we do something fun for you on December 1st as we all celebrate together. Yes, definitely. So, all right, let's get to the meat of the show here. So, This is called Doing CX Right. So let me start with asking you, what does doing it right mean from your perspective? I love, love, love this question. And I feel like so often people are looking for like, you know, the magic bullet. They're like, tell me what to do. And the thing that makes CX so special is there is no one right way. You've got to do what's right for your business, for your brand. So while of course there are universal things like no customer ever was like, oh, if only this could be slower or more confusing. So like obviously there are the things that are sort of cost of entry of, yes, it should be convenient. Yes, it should be transparent. Yes, it should be friendly and kind and available everywhere in Omnichannel, like all of the things that we all know. But the real magic, the real secret sauce is when you go above that sort of entry level, yes, everyone needs to do this and figure out what CX means for your brand and how you are uniquely positioned to do things different than all of your competitors. And that I think is where CX not only becomes really fun and really magical, but also becomes something that is going to set you apart like forever. It makes you uncopyable and it catapults you from a potential commodity provider to a category of one. Yeah. Now you come from the entertainment industry. And of course, your book is about raving fans. And so help me understand what's the correlation? What did you learn in the entertainment business? So I worked in the entertainment business, specifically the music business, for most of my career. And I had the honor of working with many of the biggest brands, uh, superstars, retailers on the planet. I mean, I was routinely doing projects with you know, Walmart and Target and Johnson & Johnson and Pepsi and artists like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. So you like some real heavy hitters. And so I got an opportunity to see their fans up up close. But I also worked with a lot of other artists that didn't have those huge followings. And as I started to kind of ask myself, what are the commonalities between all of these artists who do have these super fans? And and what do I not see in some of these other artists? And what I realized was that almost to 100% certain correlation every single time, the artists with the super fans are the ones who've done the best job of connecting their story Mm. to those fans' stories. They've made their thing 
relevant in the lives of the people that they're trying to improve. So, you know, in this case, like their, their music or their concert tours or, or all of the things that they have to offer. They're being very uh, intentional about the way that they're making those things evident as like, hey, this is going to make your life better. This is going to let you have more fun or this is going to make you feel like you're a part of something. And the same is true of brands. The brands who connect their stories to their customer stories in a way that says, here's how I make your life better. Those are the ones who create super fan customers. Mm. You remind me of a guy I had on my show, uh, James Dodkins, who is a rock star. And we talked about how being on stage and really taking care of the fans from the stage and creating those followers. I mean, those followers, the audience is, are like customers. And it was really interesting to hear about his perspective around the fans, keeping them loyal, keeping them following. Um, it seems similar into what you're talking about. It absolutely is. And I love James. He's a good friend. And uh, yeah, he's so much fun. And our messages are very much aligned. And it, it it really is the same, right? Because whether you're talking about somebody who's trying to launch a music career or somebody who's trying to launch a marketing career, your number one threat is apathy. That's the biggest threat to everyone who's got anything to do or sell, right? Is It's not that people aren't aware of your thing. It's that they just don't care. And very often, the reason they don't care is because you haven't made it clear to them why they should. You haven't connected your story with theirs in a way that resonates, that catapults you, again, to that spot in their in their mind where it's like, yes, I care about this. I want to know more. I want to do more. I want to connect. You're breaking through that apathy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now let's talk about your research and studies in creating super fans and before I do that, what inspired you to even write a book about it? A few things. I mean, I had always wanted to write a book because I love books. I I will never forget how much I loved books, like from the moment I can recall. I mean, I was my mom has pictures of me when I was a baby. I would sleep with books in my crib. Like I never took dolls or stuffed animals to book, to bed. I would take books to bed with me every single night. And of course, this was in the 80s where it's so funny to see pictures of kids in their cribs because there's just like blankets and pillows and like a million things. But I always had books and I just loved going to the library. I remember we could rent 25 books at a time. Like that was how many you could check out. And I would like take my satchel and pick out my 25 books. And I mean, there were days my mom would just like leave me at the library for hours because I was like, no mom, I can't just choose 25. I want to read a hundred books. So I've always loved books and I've always dreamed about writing one. And I wanted to write one that would make customer experience fun and exciting because I think too often people are like, oh, I don't want to read a business book or, oh, I don't want to read a boring book that's all theory. So I tried to do a really good job of balancing theory and practicality. So there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of examples from my own life and from well-known examples of brands, but there's also a lot of like pop culture in this book. So for instance, every chapter and every major heading is a song title. And it's mm -hmm. a song title that has to do with CX, but you might not like make that make that um, make that connection without it. Like for instance, uh, I've got chapters called Back to Good after the Matchbox 20 song, which is all about, you know, how to get things back on track after they've re derailed, or I talk about you know, 
the service recovery paradox and apologizing and things like that. I've got a chapter called All the Small Things after the Blink-182 song that talks about all of the small moments that cumulatively make a big impact when you're doing intentional experience design. So I know that's a long answer. I just wanted to write a fun book about customer experience that would hopefully make people think about it in a way that perhaps they hadn't in the past. So you have a five-part framework. Tell me. Yes. Tell us, what is that? So I wanted to come up with a model that people could teach their team because I think where there's a lot of breakdown, especially with customer experience, is when everyone's not aligned. You, Everybody wants to do a good job, but doing a good job might mean something different to everyone on the team. And when you don't have alignment, that's where things become unpredictable. That's where your you know, experience is happening by default and not by design. So the supermodel is a five-part framework that I put together. I designed it to be simple, simple to remember, simple to implement, and simple to measure and iterate on as you go. So it's an acronym. The mnemonic device is super. If you want to create super fans, being great isn't good enough. You've got to be super. And that is S-U-P-E-R. Start with your story. Understand your customer's story. Personalize, exceed expectations, and repeat. And if you want, we can do like a quick hit on each of those. Yes, let's do that. Okay, so S is start with your story. And when I say start with your story, I don't mean lead with your story. I don't mean you should be like rolling the window down at stoplights, telling people what it is that you do. What I mean is that everything has to originate from who you are. What is your purpose for existing? What is your uniqueness? You've got to have this figured out at the organizational level because if you don't have it figured out at the organizational level, you will never have alignment in everyone on your team. And every single employee is part of the brand. So when I say start with your story, I mean, why does your business exist? What is it that you're doing to make other people's lives better? And how is that message being communicated in one voice from everyone on your team? How do they fit into that? How can you help your employees elevate what they're doing from just a paycheck to at least a passion and maybe even a purpose because of that story that you're all creating together? So I want to comment on each of your letters because they're so good. Each letter could be an episode. (laughs) So... I agree. From being in the trenches, I know that they're silos. And how do you break them? I mean, what you're talking about is everybody owning it. And I always say to everyone, you have a CX job, whether you realize it or not. It's kind of my mantra. And so, but what happens in reality is that companies have people who do their job and then they they stop and it passes over to someone else. So they don't understand the domino effect. Tell me, how do you combat that? Oh, I love this question because you're right. This happens all the time. And the bigger your company is, the more likely it is that you can fall victim to this with employees who don't understand their role in the bigger picture. And you're exactly right. I always say everyone is in the experience department. No customer in histor- history has ever been like, oh, that was a different department. Okay, like I'm not upset anymore. Like I no longer need you to fix my problem. Like everyone is in the experience department. Everyone is representing the brand. And I think the, to use not, probably not a real word, the over siloification of businesses is one of the biggest mistakes one of the biggest mistakes that's happened over the past like 50 or 60 years. And I think we've like way overcorrected 
or undercorrected, I guess. Like, I think there will be there there will be a correction where we go back to the way things were, like pre the nineteen fifties, uh, where it wasn't so siloed and there wasn't so much divided responsibility. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, how do you fix it? There's a couple of ways. Um, it's got to start from the top down, and it's got to start from the bottom up. So uh, there needs to be someone at your company who has the title of chief experience officer or chief customer officer, because far too often decisions are made in a boardroom and sort of passed down without consulting the people who talk to the customers every single day, sometimes without consulting the customers. And what that does is it disenfranchises your frontline employees, the people who are out there representing your brand in real time every day, because they're like, oh, you're going to just like dictate down from the top, you know, these changes without ever asking us for our thoughts or for our opinions. So number one, you have to have really strong executive representation working across the entire org chart saying everyone's responsibility is CX. And then the number two thing that you've got to do is make it clear to everyone before they start that they are in charge of the customer experience. Every single job description should start by saying to improve our customers' lives by and then whatever they're doing. Because if you don't indoctrinate someone into the ideology that like they only have this job to serve customers, it's easy for people to lose sight of that. If they've never had a job in a customer-centric organization before, they may feel like they're just another cog in the in the machine. So making sure that everyone knows why it's important to serve customers and what they're enabled to do on their own to resolve problems and improve people's lives is something that it, it's an organizational change, but it's not like it's it, it's not hard to do. It just takes discipline to do. And if you look at some of the best service organizations in the world, you see that, you know, they've had this figured out for, for decades, but it just takes discipline from every organization to say, we're going to compete and win on customer centricity. So we're going to get to the next step in a minute, but I want to say that I love how you talked about a CXO because organizations I've been in CX sits in so many different places. Some have been as a CXO organization to be the glue to all the different departments. And that's been my my motto. But then other places, CX is under marketing. In other places, it's under operations. And it's Oh boy, don't get me started. All right, let's go to the next. <laughs> yeah, it, it, re- it really, it really is, and it's funny. It's like that's why I think CX is so fragmented as a discipline, and why people sort of like get flustered and throw their hands up, and they're like, "I know I need to fix it, but I don't know how to fix it. Like I don't understand it. I don't know what it is." So I actually had somebody ask me um, not that long ago. They were like, "We're we're going to add a CXO, but we don't want any more." direct reports to the CEO. So we're going to have the CXO sit under the CFO. What do you think? And I said, I think that's a great decision. If you want to send the literal message to people that customers are important, just not as important as the money they represent. You're like, we care about customers so long as it's a subset of financial, you know, financial upside. Um, so yes, I think you and I could have like a, a much longer conversation and tirade all around the need for CXOs, but we'll move on. Yes, <laughs> I, I love that example. All right, next. 
U. So U stands for understand your customer story. And this is something that a great CXO obviously can help with. In the book, I talk about the importance of understanding your customer story. What are they struggling with? What's the transformation that they're looking for? And the reason this is so important is, as I write in the book, and as I'm prone to saying all the time, super fans are created where your story and your customer stories overlap that intersection. So once you're clear on your superpower, you've got to get clear on your customer's needs. What is the transformation that they want? What are they struggling with? How can you help? Because where those two worlds collide, that is how you overpower apathy. That is how you not just find the people who should care, but give them the tools they need to care about your thing to turn them into a loyal, raving customer. Mm-hmm. Agree. And the next letter? And the next letter is P, personalize. And, you know, personalization is no longer a nice to have. We're living in a world where it is an expectation. Customers expect things to be personalized uh, and not just, you know, this sort of surface level personalization of, of their name or their preferences, but, but really going deeper than that and, and creating curated experiences that feel easy and intuitive to them because they're based on their preferences and the feedback that they've provided. So he is all about the things that you can do to personalize those experiences and treat every customer the way they want to be treated. So how do the robots interfere or help that? The AI robots? So I would say in many cases, they help, they don't interfere. And I think sometimes it's easy to take an overly simplistic view and say like, it's either got to be high tech or high touch. And these two things do not exist together and you're choosing one or the other. But in reality... I, I don't, for the most part, especially when it comes to, to to human interactions, I do not think in the next several decades that technology is going to replace people. But I know, and we are already seeing, that the people who embrace technology are replacing the people who do not. And the companies that are, incorporate technology will replace the companies that do not. So leveraging technology to help make sure, for instance, when somebody calls your call center that all of the information about that customer is pulled up, right? That helps make that experience better for that customer. That helps make things easier for that customer. That's a great use of technology. Maybe not a chatbot yet, right? Like maybe the chatbot isn't to the point to where it can help somebody who's called uh, your call center. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get there, but we're not there yet. So making sure that that technology is not just aiding your customers, but freeing up more of your employees' times on like tasks that there's no reason for them to do, like let automation and technology handle those things so that they have more of their like human capacity freed up to delight customers and take care of their like non-AI powered needs. So just to detour a little funny story here, I read an article and I wrote a blog about the fact this company is now deploying robots to call customer service departments on behalf of humans to negotiate parking tickets, to settle bills, telecom bills. So now we actually need to train our agents to talk to the robots. (laughs) Strange new world. (laughs) And then what's going to happen when the robots call the robots? Are they going to be frustrated? Are they going to get angry? (laughs) It's like, 
Maybe they'll fall in love and have little <laughs> AI robot babies. I just um, love yeah. that. Well, yeah. again, I, th- I think it kind of goes back to like, um, I think that a lot of the problems that people are using technology to solve are problems that were created because organizations were being greedy and selfish and not customer centric. So for instance, all of the robots that exist to talk to a chatbot to lower your cable bill or lower your subscription cost, like good, because shame on those companies for saying we're going to charge more to some people, either because they've been a customer for longer or because of the zip code that they live in or because they didn't join under this deal. Like I am someone who is just very sort of viscerally opposed to dynamic pricing a lot of times when it's based solely on we think we can make more money uh, rather than there's a reason for charging more for this thing. So I hope people continue to innovate with those chatbots and robots to get all of those customers the absolute best deal because every customer deserves to be treated like a valuable customer. (laughs) Not that I'm on a soapbox or anything, but that's what I think about those robots. Good for those robots. (laughs) I get you. I do. All right. Give me one more tip, one more letter, because we're coming to the end and I've got some final questions for you. Okay, cool. Well, I'll do them both and I'll do them quickly because E is exceed expectations. It's all about that intentional experience designed to make sure that you're meeting or exceeding your customer's expectation. And then R is a simple one. It just stands for repeat because I know, you know, Stacey, customer experience is not a set it and forget it. It's not something you do one time and like check the box. It's like, exercising or eating healthy. You've got to do it consistently and the right way to see the results. So the R just stands for repeat. And R is right. Doing CX right, the right way. Absolutely. (laughs) Amen. Yes. (laughs) So, all right. As we start to conclude, first of all, leadership. What is the best leadership advice you've been given or that you've given to others in your work experience? I think probably the best piece of leadership advice came from my dad, who was an amazing customer service practitioner. And his advice was that you've just always got to treat your people right. You always have to go out of your way to do everything you can for your team because you're nothing without your team. And I've always taken that message to heart and it's exactly right. And I know you know, as a customer experience professional, that your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. So if you want to create super fan customers, you've got to have super fan employees who are acting as advocates for your company. Yes. If CEOs and leaders from different organizations, entrepreneurs were in my room right now, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? I think the one takeaway is that if you don't know what your company is the absolute best in the world at, nobody's ever going to be able to figure it out. You need to be able to have every one of your employees in alignment when they're asked about why you're special and why you're better and different. And it's not about features and benefits. It's about your uniqueness. It's about that special DNA of your company, why you exist, how you make the world a better place. So make sure you can answer that question because if you don't, then you know, you're know you like the definition of a commodity provider at that point. And people are going to be making their decision based on things like price and convenience, not on the fact that you can make their lives better. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, which is why breaking silos also is essential. If you could go back in time 
to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Brittany on December 1st? (laughs) On December 1st of my 20th birthday, I would say, okay, this doesn't exist yet, but in a few years, there's going to be a thing called Bitcoin. (laughs) And you're going to buy a bunch of it, and then you're going to sell it when it hits $60,000 a coin. I've heard that one before many times. Yes. Yes. I think I would I think I would also tell myself that um as hard as it is to be patient for the things that you want in life, try to be patient because things always happen at exactly the right time. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Great advice. I'm going to give that to myself. And what's next for Brittany? Well, I am so excited because I get to spend this entire year out on the road speaking about customer experience, helping people create super fans, and sharing copies of my book. So I have something like 40 in-person speaking events all across the country where I'll be getting to meet other people who I can hopefully turn into customer experience super fans. Love that. Well, I will have everything about you and your links to your website and social channels so people will be able to follow you beyond just this episode. And thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Stacey. This was a blast. We'll have to, we'll have to do part two on our birthdays for a little celebration. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.